His name has inspired a lot of people. You know, being from Indiana might be one of the things that inspires a lot more people in our industry. But really, this man inspired a character which has carried through my child's whole life. His name being utilized for one of the most famous cars of all time, especially known in the cinema world. Mr. Lightning McQueen borrows his last name from him. Everybody knows who Terrence Stephen McQueen is and what he did for the automotive industry. But really, where did he all start and how did he get here? These are the questions that Autolux will uncover today on this podcast. Autolux Podcast coming to you anytime, anywhere from around the globe on any major streaming site from Autolux.net. Welcome back to the Autolux Podcast. I'm your host, as always, the Dr. T. Automotive Industry, Mr. Everett J. Coming to you from our main host site, podbeam.com, autolux.net, feedspot.com, and brought to you by Ecom Entertainment Group, where we put the podcast together. If you have an idea or want to get in touch with us, please stop by and send us an email at email at autolux.net to Mr. Everett J. I am the host, remember, the doctor to the automotive industry, Mr. Everett J. And today we are talking about Steve McQueen. Mr. Steve McQueen was born on March 24, 1930 in Beach Grove, Indiana, essentially a suburb of Indianapolis. Born in the name Terrence Stephen McQueen, he was born to a single mother as his father had left her six months after meeting her. His father, William McLean was a stunt pilot for a barnstorming flying circus. Unable to cope with raising a child, he left McQueen. So his dad was a stunt pilot. Sound kind of familiar? Sounds similar to that of Steve himself. Maybe you can kind of see where that wild side comes from. But he did have quite a bit of abandonment issues, if you take a look back through it. Unable to cope with the stress of raising a child, Steve McQueen's mother left him with her parents. His grandfather, Claude, gifted him with a red tricycle for his fourth birthday. This sparked his interest in racing, being that it's a tricycle, more importantly, motorcycle racing. At eight, his mother remarried and brought him home. Dyslexic and partially deaf due to a childhood ear infection, Mr. Steve McQueen did not adjust well to school. He soon became involved in street gangs, and over the few years, he bounced between his grandparents to his mother. His stepfather at the time that his mother had married was abusive, which led him to a street gang life. Essentially, he thought it was better than being at home with abusive well, stepfather. He wanted to be with the gang, people that caught him, people that wanted to hang around with him. From here, he came home one night. He and his stepfather got into a fight. And due to Steve being caught stealing hubcaps previously, his stepfather soon sent him to the California Junior Boys Republic in Chino, California. At first, he was not a popular boy, but he soon moved up and became part of the boys' council. At 16, he left the boys' republic and moved back in with his mother. This, soon enough, led him to the beginning of his great career. He found himself asking permission to join the U.S. Marine Corps. Initially, Steve didn't do well in boot camp, but he was once thrown into the brig for 41 days due to an unauthorized absence. Sound kind of familiar to a movie he later does? So, thrown in the brig. Literally, self-seclusion for 41 days? I guess that's when he did the part on Papillon where he's thrown in. He can give us a more realistic term of what that person would have felt. After this, he soon focused on self-improvement and soon was an honorable Marine. He improved his self-worth and made him feel way better. Improved his confidence, he's able to do more. He wasn't, as you would call him today, kind of flaky. Self-improvement is one of those things that I could personally attest to. Trying to improve upon what you are already good at and what you believe is the correct path. 
You focus more on yourself and making yourself the best person you can be. Steve McQueen went through this. And like we said, he soon became an honorable Marine. He once even had the honor of guarding the president's yacht for Mr. Truman. He was honorably discharged in the 1950. As he said, the Marines made a man out of me. And in 1952, with some financial assistance, he began to study acting. The Marines had made a man out of him and showed him that he wanted to improve upon what he was already great at. Running away, being part of street gangs, being a Marine on a ship, being thrown in the brig. He thought to himself, these, these are things I could do. This is, this is something great. Let's get through acting. His first play only had him saying one line, but essentially it was a start. To make money, he spent his weekends racing motorcycles, which eventually earned him, on average, about $100 per weekend, or $1,000 in 2022 money. He eventually started scoring a few gigs in movies, moving his way out of the play department. And during his first role in The Defenders, manager Hilly Elkins took notice of him and moved him into the B-movies to help him get his start. So Steve McQueen, like a lot of rising actors, didn't really start out in the big portion of the movie industries. He started even lower than the B-quality movies. His breakout role came from landing a role on Wanted, Dead or Alive, the series. At 29, McQueen got his big break when Frank Sinatra replaced Sammy Davis Jr. with McQueen for the role of Bill Ingra in Never So Few. Wow, 29 years old, Steve McQueen is alongside Frank Sinatra at the height of his career. Is exactly what Steve McQueen would have been thinking. Like, you kicked out Sammy Davis Jr. Now I'm, like, with you in this movie? This is gonna move me. This is gonna make me big. But in the back of his head, he was never more comfortable than when he was driving at a high rate of speed. And this was never more true than when he was in a Jeep, going off-road, having fun, going fast. You know, there are a lot of people like this. And uh, Dominic Toretto said it best. You know, for those, those 10 seconds, I'm free. Well, Steve McQueen had that. Like you said, he was more comfortable when he was driving at a high rate of speed. At 61, McQueen did a one-time outing for the British Touring Car Championship, racing a BMC Mini. Finishing third was pretty damn good, but he was an actor. He wasn't a race car, right? And we raced bike when we were going through college. Steve McQueen liked to go fast, but he also liked to act. In 1963, his love affair with motorcycles gave him the greatest leap of his acting career when he landed the most notable role in doing one of the most notable jumps of all time in the movie The Great Escape. This became his first notable automotive scene in a movie ever. Although the main stunt was done by Bud Ekins, the scene was still a part of automotive culture and cemented McQueen as an automotive leader in the world. McQueen did most of the driving for his scene on his own. Utilizing his motorcycle racing past, he helped make the scene look even better and more realistic as it was just, it was actually him doing the driving. But the initial stunt wasn't done by him. But we can still look back and see it and think it. In 68, he followed up with his Oscar nomination for The Sand Pebbles, one of his most famous movies. Bullet. Yes. Sand Pebbles may have been the movie that gave him his Oscar nomination, but that's just a nomination. Who cares? The movie he did after that would cement Steve McQueen as being the bad boy of this automotive industry, playing Lieutenant Frank Bullet in the movie of the same name. He utilized a 1967 Mustang GT for one of the most famous car chase scenes in history. It's also one of the longest, not the longest, those honors, not that exact honor, but 
The original Gone in 60 Seconds still holds one of the top honors as being one of the longest car chases. Like, half the damn movie is it. The chase scene in Bullet, the movie, wasn't as long as that had gone in 60 seconds, but an infamous race between a Charger and a Mustang. McQueen did some of the driving for the movie, but not all of it. And that Highland Green 1967 Mustang GT came with a 390 CID engine. Two chase cars were used with VIN numbers in sequence ending with 558 and 559. Yeah, they even got sibling cars to do the chase scene movie. Now, if you ever go back and you watch this chase scene, what makes it one of the greatest chase scenes of all time? Well, one, the fact of how many freaking hubcaps they lose. <laughs> That's always a fun one to watch and try and, you know, pick them all out because you start to notice, wait a minute, there's a few too many here. Is that it races through the streets of San Francisco. San Francisco. The city by the bay. All the hills there. Like you can race through New York City. With all the skyscrapers. Or down a major highway. But going up and down and all around a city known to be built on hills. And used as cable cars. Because they were a lot better use than standard street cars. Especially when having to stop on these hills all the time. It wasn't just the cars that made that scene. It was the city in which it was set in. The Bullet Mustang would soon disappear. It would take a long time to find it. But this was all in the background of what was really happening in Steve McQueen's life. In 1971, McQueen played Michael Delaney as the ill-fated Lamar movie hit the screen. His character drove a Porsche and was racing against their rival, Ferrari. He wanted to drive the Porsche 917 alongside Jackie Stewart, but the film bankers threatened to pull their support if he used an actual Formula One driver in this racing or even got into the car. Lamar was a poorly rated movie and did not do well, but it did push McQueen into the racing limelight. Today, that movie is considered one of the cult classics for the automotive world. Trust me, I've, I own Lamar. I have seen Lamar. The movie is kind of tacky. It's kind of dry and boring. Because essentially, the entire movie is set upon him racing at Le Mans against Ferrari. And the entire things that transpire over the course of those 24 hours. That's it. There's no major backstory or anything. It's them at the track racing. So when he gets out after three hours of racing, he goes, he takes a nap, he deals with this guy, talks with that girl, does this. Not, you know, all the things that transpire along a racetrack. So to a lot of people, it really wasn't the greatest thing. It was drawn out and boring. So McQueen had to move on. After 1974's Towering Inferno, McQueen took some time off to go motorcycle racing. He had hit the end of his you know, career in doing movies. He wanted to go back to do what he loved. And he loved to go racing. Similar to that of Kent Block. He just wanted to get behind the wheel of a car and go racing. This could also have been because Towering Inferno became such a massive hit. The funniest thing about that movie is Steve McQueen played alongside his movie rival, Paul Newman, who was also an avid auto racer, and eventually went on his own team, Newman Haas Racing. So this movie was a big hit and had two big name actors who also liked to go racing and even were part of the racing world. But that wasn't the most odd thing that happened. Tower Inferno may put him next to his rival, may have made a massive hit, but when McQueen left for racing, everybody thought it was a bit off. So at the time he left, he was the highest paid actor in Hollywood. So why would he just up and leave? The guy was like on top of his game. Four years later, he would finally return to the big screen in 1978. 
but unfortunately this would be very short-lived. His return to the screen in 1978, he would soon leave the light of acting to go racing and tour America in his motorhome and on a vintage Indian motorcycle. And yet he was still one of the highest paid actors at that time. After a clash with the producer of Grand Prix, McQueen lost out the role. This could have been his awe-inspiring movie. Gotta think about it. He lost the role of Grand Prix. When everybody thinks of that movie, the first thing everybody thinks of is McQueen. People think Steve McQueen played in Grand Prix. Every time I say that to my dad, oh, the main actor, I can't remember his name, but dad's always like, oh, Steve McQueen. Like, my uncles are like that, and like most people I've ever met. But he's actually not part of the movie. It could have been an awe-inspiring first choice for the role. McQueen missed out on this great movie, but we still remember him as the bad boy of movies. Kind of interesting that the bad boy of automotive movies, the guy who barely did any automotive movies besides Le Mans and Bullet, was so synonymous with racing. But today, do you think of Paul Newman as the actor or Paul Newman as the race car driver? Similar to that of Ronald Reagan. More people today remember him as the president, but in the 1950s when you watch Back to the Future, Ronald Reagan, the actor? Steve McQueen falls into those lines. His last movie arrived in 1980. McQueen did two movies that year. And never really got back to the top of his game ever again. Whereas 1980 would also become the end of the McQueen legacy. On November 7th, 1980, while in Ciudad Juarez, Mexico, he died while he undergoing surgery to remove numerous tumors, which American doctors said were inoperable. He was 50 years old. That's 1980. His last two movies came out in 80. He did what he loved for four years, from 74 to 1978. Returning to the big screen in 78 to play his biggest movie of all time, before going on to doing two more movies which were released the same year he passed away. To a lot of us, it's pretty sad what happened to him. He played in some amazing movies. Papillon. Bullet. Hell, I didn't even know what either of those movies were, and when I was part of a movie club back in the late 90s, those two movies came up together in a package. Papillon was on TV and a lot of people knew about it. It won hordes of awards. But with McQueen being thrown in the break for 41 days while during boot camp to become a Marine, one of the top tier infantry in the American Army kind of cemented himself to being more in tune with what he was truly going through in his movies. Why does McQueen really come off as one of the big name actors for the automotive industry for all of us? He passed away at 50. He didn't have a whole horde of movies underneath his belt. But in the world today, Steve McQueen's name is still known, even after his passing in 1980, 43 years ago. But why? And why was his name chosen for a kid's movie? This is Lightning McQueen, Bullet, and Le Mans. Hell, even The Great Escape. The Great Escape, the motorcycle jump scene, is one of the biggest and brightest in cinematic history for motorcycles. And it's McQueen. And besides the fact that he didn't do the jump, he did most of the other driving. Le Mans, he did the driving. Bullet, he did a lot of the driving. He was an avid race car driver and an avid motorcycle racer. McQueen did more for the auto industry than most would ever think. Even though he wasn't a big promoter, even though he didn't do big top box office hits, and even though his career was very short, he still lives as one of the top names for automotive actors, similar to that in the same lines as Paul Walker and Paul Newman. Over his career, McQueen competed in off-road motorcycle racing, frequently running a BSA Hornet. 
He used the alias Harvey Mushman to ensure he stayed out of the public eye, especially even when he was racing. His first off-road motorcycle race was done with a Triumph 500cc. And funny enough, he purchased this from stuntman Bud Atkins from the movie The Great Escape. So he won his first motorcycle race with a bike from the man who did the greatest bike stunt that he himself was famous for. He competed in other off-road races from the Baja 100, the Mint 400, and even the Elsinore Grand Prix. He was to compete in the London to Mexico race for British Leyland team in a Triumph 2500PR, but had to turn it down due to movie commitments. Imagine how that would have changed his career. He was introduced into the Off-Road Sports Hall of Fame in 1978, two years before his death. And as per his son, he had over 100 vintage motorcycles and about 100 vintage cars in his own personal collection. But unfortunately, like we discussed earlier when we talked about the Bullet movie, he was never able to purchase the Mustang GT390, as they stated that it was damaged beyond repair, and one was also hidden from the public eye. Steve McQueen would never get the car that he always wanted. He attempted to purchase this in 1977 again, but he was unsuccessful. The damaged one reappeared in Mexico in 2017. I remember seeing the internet blowing up about this. This was odd as it was deemed scrap at the end of the movie and even given the title. The hidden one reappeared in 2018 Detroit Auto Show along with the newly released 2019 Bullet Mustang. It had not been restored and it was still a mystery as where to this vehicle came from. And just as quickly as it came to the world, this car disappeared once again. The damaged one has been bought and rebuilt and was even showcased at the SEMA Auto Show one year later. But the one that is that appeared at the Detroit Auto Show appeared and disappeared real quickly. To this day, we still don't know if it's part of somebody's personal collection or if Ford or Shelby or even a movie studio has been keeping it under wraps. Still a mystery. In November 1999, he was introduced into the Motorcycle Hall of Fame, finally getting his recognition for his motorcycle racing. In August 2011, his personal 1970 Porsche 911S sold at auction for $1.375 million. This was his personal one from Le Mans. He's considered one of the most famous actors of the 20th century, and in 2007, Forbes named him the King of Cool for the film industry. Why is this? He didn't have a ton of movies under his belt, especially in this industry. But when his cars go up for sale or motorcycles, they go for massive amount in auctions. But appearing as the name behind the car from the Cars movies, Lightning McQueen cemented his name in history. This was due to the respect for Steve McQueen and was still well known in the automotive world. He never worked for an auto company or produced the vehicle, but his influence in the motorcycle and car culture world has lasted long past his death. And similar to that, like similar to Leonard Nimoy as Spock, Steve McQueen and Bullet will be remembered for a very long time. He lived a short life at 50 years, but Steve McQueen had done a lot. Being a ruffian part of gangs, joining the Marines, thrown on the brig, taking acting, racing motorcycles, racing on actual tracks, racing off-road, all to be taken down by inoperable tumors. Steve McQueen fought through it, and he saw it to the end. He was one of the greats of the automotive world. Today, we still remember Steve McQueen for his showcase in Le Mans. We still see him as Lightning McQueen, and we still recognize his name for one of the greatest automotive chase scenes in history. At Lieutenant Frank Bullet, we live on. As long as they don't make a, uh, a newer version of it and kill it, Bullet will live on. With that, Steve McQueen will live on. 
So in the end, are you a McQueen fan? Do you believe he should be on the list of some of the, the greatest geniuses or people behind the automotive world and its prowess? Or do you think Steve McQueen is just an actor who uses fame and fortune to go racing? Or is he a motorcycle racer who made famous by acting? Whatever you think, he will live on and he will be a part of this scene. So if you like this podcast, please like, share, or comment. Send it out to your friends, your family, your boss, wherever you want to send it. Along one of our major social feeds and any of the main streaming sites, you can find us on at the Autolux Podcast. Brought to you by Ecom Entertainment and Podbeam.com. And after you annoy everybody with this, you send it out, you bug them, you write comments, you let us know how we're going and what we need to change. Send us an email over at email at autolux.net. You can go by and stop by the website, check it out, and go to the Corporate Links website, find information from automobile companies around the world. Do a little bit of research for yourself more on Steve McQueen and see how his influence in the automotive world inspired more than just us. So for myself, Everett J, and the whole Autolux team here, strap yourself in for this one fun wild ride from the Autolux podcast.